The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of WTJX, its board, staff, or underwriters. Good morning. You are listening to Ability Radio. I am one of your hosts, Amelia Headley Lamont of the Disability Rights Center of the Virgin Islands. And this morning, we have the privilege of talking to an artist who visited our fair shores not too long ago. Her name is Chloe Duclesis, and she will tell us about her work, um, her involvement i guess you could say she comes to the disability community quite uh, quite honestly we could say but good day good morning how are you yes 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 good day i am well i am well well one of the things we'd like our audience to know is that you are an artist an historian and a curator and in addition to that you are a woman who is legally blind now some may want to know how have you been able to navigate all those responsibilities. <laughs> right, right. Well, it didn't happen overnight. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, so I, my mother is legally blind because she has a genetic condition. So I grew up with a heightened sense of awareness mm -hmm. around how we have to adjust and make modifications in everyday life and how we should. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but additionally, she was a businesswoman. She was a civil rights pioneer and she was active in our community and with our church. So I also saw this aspect of womanhood that was just showing up, you know, just consistently showing up mm -hmm. as so many women, especially women of color do. So I was not always legally blind. Now, of course, I was the kid that always wore glasses. I was that kid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, when they do the vision test in elementary school, they sent me home with two notes and they were like, get this kid glasses. So mm -hmm. I was that kid. It wasn't until I was actually 39 that I was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. I just started having like fuzziness of vision. And uh, I thought it was just because I was working long hours. I had I had dry eye, mm -hmm. but they did confirm I had Stargardt disease. And it's a rare form of genetic macular degeneration that affects your central vision. So gradually those cells die and then it spreads to the rest of the eye. So in the first two or three years, you lose vision. That's where I am right now. I've lost about 40 percent of my vision. And then the next day, you just color blindness. And then there's an eventual uh closing up the curtain, so to speak. And when I meet people, mm -hmm. sometimes they can't even tell that I'm legally blind. Um, but most times once they find out what I do, they're just like, hmm, so how? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but the, I started out in photography 20 years ago in college. I was going to college in New Orleans, a great place to go to college. Everything was so vibrant. The culture was within arm's reach. Right. And it was just my hobby. And then I transitioned to working in uh, hand collage, actual collage pieces and love that. And then as my vision began to decline, I was already working in my day job, doing a lot of digital work for my clients. And I thought, you know what, this is, there's an opportunity for me to take what I'm doing in digital and just move it into my medium. So I'm just really grateful to God that that was an opportunity. And the great thing about digital art is I'm able to expand the piece I'm working on sometimes mm -hmm. 300 to 400 times. Wow. You, so I'm able to actually, what may be like the size of a pencil could literally be the size of, you know, the height of maybe four or five feet, given the equipment I'm using because of the detail and the technology I'm using. So that's how I'm able to actually navigate in this season. But I've also kind of moved into fabric art as well, because I'm very aware that at some point I will be fully blind. 
So fabric art, what does, I'm trying to visualize it. Is it like a, a quilt or, or putting pieces together as though you're presenting a collage? Oh, I, I wish, I wish I was disciplined enough to be a quilter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Uh, that's not my lane. Much respect to quilters. Uh, but I did grow up with, you know, with quilts around the house. And I think as a young person, you kind of dismiss it or take it for granted. And now in my early 40s, I know how beautiful those were because those yeah. were actually created by people in my family. So I I have had this moving, this renaissance of sorts in my work over the past five years, moving towards the fabric because I can feel it. It doesn't require a great deal of vision. Mm -hmm. And I just allow energy to flow through me. So my fabric pieces are informed, like much of my work by oral histories I collected my travels mm -hmm. and by actual lesser known historical events, which I think is pretty cool because I'm a historian by trade. Mm -hmm. So I do burlap for all of my pieces. It's a natural fabric. It's resilient. To me, it represents people of color mm -hmm. because you can pull it, honey, but you can you can yeah. unravel burlap to a certain degree, mm -hmm. but it's going to remain intact at its core. And that's such to me a testament to who we are as a people. And I just love it. And then I will actually take the fabric when I travel. If people ask me how they can bless me or bless the work, I always say, if you're not in a position to purchase a piece or to hire me to work with your community, gift me fabric. Do you have fabric that is native to your place, your community? And then we bless the fabric. And that I think gives the pieces an added measure of depth because nothing against it, but it's not like going into a fabric store. These right. are actual pieces that are handwoven or gifted. And I just feel like fabric art carries a lot more weight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's profound. That was a very profound answer. <laughs> I'm speechless. <laughs> You said that you're a historian as well as a curator. Tell me about your uh, focus then as a historian. Yes, yes. So my focus is on accessibility, the history of accessibility, the need for elevating accessibility. And my focus is also on equity. So what that looks like in my work, it looks like creating collections of work that are very, very detailed and hopefully, hopefully very nuanced, but that present opportunities mm -hmm. to honor the ancestors always. So honor lesser known persons, the nameless persons that have gone before because their lives do matter and still matter. That's why we are here. Mm -hmm. Additionally, it looks like elevating opportunities for people to see a piece of my work and experience it and begin having the conversation. Because I think specifically in the United States, we have not been very good at having conversations. People dismiss things. They pretend they don't exist. And I think, quite frankly, that's why 2020, among many other reasons, is why it was the year that it was. Now, I started my practice long before that, that kind of that year of reckoning around mm -hmm. social justice and equity. But I think that there's always been a need. And again, I am originally from the South. So I kind of grew up in this culture that wanted to embrace everything from people of color, wanted mm -hmm. to embrace the food, the music, the art, the, our whole way of existing. But oftentimes when it came to access and equity to things that could actually improve our quality of life, there was, there wasn't a question. There wasn't a question that you shouldn't even ask for those things or want to be seen. 
you know, desiring those things. And that really struck a chord with me. And I wanted to create the work in a, a very loving and respectful way, but I also honor the fact that these people have been doing great things for years and there are opportunities for us to come together around the work. And that's how the history is fused into the work. Because I think if I was just generating my own story, while that would still have value, mm-hmm. that looks almost like everything else. When I create these pieces of work that are inspired by actual historical events that a lot of people are not aware of, mm-hmm. I think it gives a sense of value and credibility to the movement. Additionally, when I'm balancing that in real time by collecting a few oral histories from people of color of the diaspora in modern day, you get these sprinklings of, oh, so that is still going on. Oh, hmm. this is an issue that I should be aware of. Right, right. Yeah, we, we are often asked the question, well, that was, a, you know, slavery was a long time ago or Jim Crow was a long time ago. You know, well, get over it. <laughs> well, no, we're still very much informed right. by those not so nice events to put it lightly. For sure, for sure. And I, I do encounter that. Not so much. I'm sure people still have that viewpoint. They just so not to bring that foolishness to me. But, <laughs> right. um, <laughs> um, you know, because I think, I think when people see the work, the work, depending on what collection you're looking at, can be very... Um, well, the, the work is the work. And it's, it's very detailed. It's very intentional. It's very nuanced. Now, I never create things that don't exist. And I'm very proud of that. So if you see a piece of my work, it, there may be a monument with a Jim Crow sign attached to it that mm. literally existed. There's a piece with mm. the Statue of Liberty called Welcome. Mm-hmm. And at the very bottom of it, there's mm. a Jim Crow sign there. Yeah. And I remember... Because oftentimes when I go to cities, I'll partner with businesses, nonprofits and churches to have artist talks. And then I'll do like a free pro bono type of workshop for kids K through 12. Mm-hmm. And I remember a little girl came up to me and she said, oh, Miss Chloe, I'm just so inspired by you and your work. And I said, I appreciate that, young lady. I said, but don't be inspired. I said, because you can dismiss your capacity. You can show mm-hmm. up just like I am because mm-hmm. we're all navigating something. Mm-hmm. And I said, what piece resonates most with you? Mm-hmm. She said that one, but I'm confused because we didn't learn about that in school. Did you make up that sign? Why would you make mm-hmm. up such a troubling sign? Mm-hmm. I said, no baby, mm-hmm. that existed. Mm-hmm. And that particular sign actually was posted in Georgia until the late 1980s. Did we clarify what that sign said? I wanna make sure that our listening audience rem- yes. remembers. Okay. So, so I believe that sign says no Negroes, mm-hmm. no Mexicans, mm-hmm. and no dogs. Right, right. Let's talk about where this is posted because I did look at it. So if you could tell us where exactly we could see what you just described, and there are some other things that were quite moving. Where, what's the certainly? What's the location? So that location is my official website. It's DuplessisArt.com. So that's just my last name duplessisart.com and if you click right click on the website when you go there you will have uh, a series of collections you'll have the current collection of work that is currently on view here in Thornton Colorado called Blind Spot that deals with privilege very proud of that show Uh, it's 24 pieces of work um, and actually captures over 200 years of um, overcoming. And then there's a a show that never leaves my website because it was my inaugural show here in Colorado and it's called Negro Stories. Mm. That was a show that I actually researched for two years prior to 2020. And uh, it was a show that was my first nationally ranked show. So it actually traveled. That show went to New Orleans. It started in Denver, went to New Orleans, went to New Mexico and aspects of it actually came to St. Croix as well. Now, uh, for some of us who may not be so good at spelling, how do you spell Duclesis? <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, I was about to. 
<laughs> I was about to spell this good old South, South Louisiana last name. So it's D U P L E S S I S. Duplessis. D U E? P as in Paul. Oh, okay. <laughs> now oh. that would be interesting. Okay. So spell it for us one more time, please. Certainly. Mm -hmm. So D is in David, U is in unicorn, P mm -hmm. is in Paul, L is in Lake, E is in egg, S is in Sam, S is in Sam, uh -huh. I is in icicle, and S is in Sam. Ah, uh, duplessis. Okay. I was writing a C. That's why I got confused. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a new take on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so one of the gallery pieces that I saw that really resonated with me, one was the nickname, which we'll, you know, we could yeah. see how we could talk about that one. But the other one was just <laughs> the little girl who went to a birthday party and then yeah. realized that she was not included in the whole celebration. That broke my heart. Yes. Can you talk yes. about that one? Because that, oh I, my gosh. <laughs> yes. And actually, um, aside from the nickname piece, which is my, my actual Negro story, mm -hmm. uh, the little girl, that was the piece that resonated most when we traveled mm -hmm. with persons of all backgrounds and all experiences. And I think it really, if you are a parent or a caregiver, a loving yes. caregiver, it resonates with you because your whole focus is to protect children. Yes. And that should be. And if you are someone who is not a parent or a caregiver, you still had to experience childhood. Mm -hmm. So that story was actually a story that I collected. One of the first stories I collected when I started that oral history process for that uh, body of work. And it's a dear friend of mine. Mm -hmm. uh, her name is Donicia P. Mm. Now, typically, I do not release the names of the people who actually offer their stories, but she she was very encouraging and supportive and um, very mindful of the work we were doing. She's a journalist and we've been friends for years. We literally went to middle school, but mm. I remember she was I was telling her about the body of work I was doing. And I said, do you happen to have any stories you'd be willing to to share? And she said, I have so many. I don't even know which one to share. And I think that's uh, that's a common thread with many people of color. Mm. And I said, well, let's go back as far as you can go. When did you first recognize, not that you were different, but that people viewed you differently? And she said, a birthday party. Mm. I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, I was, in, I was in kindergarten and it was my first birthday party. And I was so excited. I got a new dress, I had a ribbon in my hair. My mama did my hair, girl. And I was just... I was overjoyed. And I remember walking to the house for my best friend's birthday party. And the time it changed at some point, the, the birthday party was originally supposed to be, I believe, on that Friday. And then it shifted at some point and it changed. So she was happy. She was still able to go. Her mom's walking with her. You have this whole scene of the anticipation of that, because no matter how you grow up, uh, birthday parties are a rite of passage for us. They really, really are. Right. They are. Especially, they are. You look forward to it. It's a whole thing, you know? So she she's walking to the door and they knock on the door and the door opens and her friend's mom answers the door and they're like, hello, you're like we're here. They're, they're overjoyed. And Denicia remembers her, the woman's face just dropped, just, mm -hmm. just completely shifted. Mm -hmm. And I said, what happened? And she paused and she said, I saw children behind her. And they were playing. I said, were you were you late to the party? She said, Chloe, they had on pajamas. Oh. I said, wait, what? She said, they had on pajamas 
the birthday party was a slumber party. And immediately, Donisa's mother ushers her in, sits her down, and calls the woman over to speak with her. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that for this specific story, they were going to have a day party. But when the theme shifted, mm-hmm. the guest list shifted. Wow. And to me, that really, I feel like whether it's corporate America, your first job, your first experience, college, whatever it is, I feel like every person of color, no matter where they come up in, they have that that feeling at some point in life of, oh, so, okay, all right. So, mm-hmm. she, so she identified that that was the very first time, not that she felt differently, but that people viewed her differently. And she was five. Oh, wow. She was five. So, you know... Her mom, like most amazing mothers, was like, you know, do you want to stay? Do you want to leave? What do you want to do? Because as you can, you can imagine, she was hot. Of course. So <laughs> my mama would have been like, let's go. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> like, like, for real, like like not, we're not even doing this. So, you know, it just really struck me. So her story is the inspiration for that piece. And that piece is so special. Uh, to me, it's the only piece that I have not sold mm-hmm. the art prints of soul, but I've never sold the actual original piece mm-hmm. because the child in that piece is actually our daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's actually our daughter, Zoe. And I remember when I was actually doing that collection of work, I wanted to actually involve several different mediums. Right. So a lot of those p- images are actually pictures um, that are shifted with filters and images. And then of course I bring in the collage pieces with the flag and, and everything. So when she was posing for that piece, I told Zoe, now we're going to put a birthday hat on you. You're going to a party. And she was just grinning. She was like, Oh, I'm here for this. This is going to be great. I said, ah, but you got to be sad because this is Miss Donicia's story. And she was not happy at this party. And I shared what happened to her. And she was like, mommy, why would someone do that? I, know. I said, because there are some people who don't value everyone. And she said, well, will I at least have a piece of cake and this is over? I said, honey, this is not a real party. So the sadness you see on her face is from, <laughs> from me telling my child, there's no cake. This is just a photo shoot for my work. <laughs> so it's a very authentic look of sadness. Oh, there you go. That's how you go for the, <laughs> for the moment, right? <laughs> for sure. For sure. Because people are just like, it's like she feels the story. I said, no, she wanted a cupcake, honey. That's all that is. <laughs> But she was so um, cute. She was all dressed up. I saw the <laughs> necklace and the jacket and, you know, mm-hmm. the hair comb. So it, it was, it, it's very effective. So I, I really you. commend you for that. It's beautiful. I mean, it, it makes my eyes moist and I'm I'm oh. a hard rock to move. So that was really <laughs> quite good. Excellent. I appreciate that. <laughs> and it's very intentional, too. The, the denim jacket, I always use aspects of Americana in the culture, but try to anchor it with these cultural artifacts. So it was very everything about that piece is very very intentional. So I appreciate that. that. Well, really very, very effective. Now you you did say at one point, maybe before the show that you um, was an artist in residence at the uh, Caribbean Museum of the Arts here in St. Croix. That's correct. Yes, yes, yes. A beautiful experience. Last 
it sounds so weird to say last year, but last year, <laughs> January and February, I was there for about six weeks uh, serving as the resident artist. And it was twofold. I came to actually teach. I taught with uh, Saida Carter, who was a beautiful, loving, gifted uh, theater professional there. She taught the, taught the theater component. And I taught the young people uh, the basics of photography and digital collage. And at the close of the program, we had a beautiful community-wide uh, exhibition. And to my knowledge, it was the most well-attended event uh, in many years for the museum. But I don't take credit for that. I think it's because we were allowed to connect with the young people. And, you know, it's a lot different when your niece or nephew comes home and says, you got to come see my work. I'm proud of this. Right. And I commend those young people for showing up because that gathering was the first gathering for them in almost three years. Because wow. if you think back in January, you had the hurricane, then you had the pandemic. So they were very, very reserved and uh, very kind of uh, protective of, of sharing as most young people are. But by the third week after we infused them with history and culture and art, they began to come out of their shells and connect with us and each other. And I think that that show was just one, it's one of my favorite shows. And I've been doing this now for almost 20 years. Wow. All right. Now you're also, are you affiliated with an art uh, gallery in the Virgin Islands? I am not. I have had work shown at Cane Roots and I just adore Miss Sonia. Um, so I did have a piece there last year for the Freedom uh, exhibition. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I would love for work to go back that way. But for right now, most of my work is here uh, in uh, Colorado. I have pieces in New Orleans and I have a piece in New Mexico and I will have a piece in uh, Toronto and Africa by the end of the year. Okay. Now you mentioned that you travel. Where, where, has, your, where has your travels taken you? So I have been to nine countries and 24 states mm. for my work. And I am tremendously mindful that more that I am able to interface with people and they are able to see the work, ask questions about the work and shift energy that I am doing what I was called to do. So my, uh, my favorite pace to date mm -hmm. is St. Croix. <laughs> Just really? because of the, the warmth. Yes, the warmth of the people. Um, people who have actually lived in Louisiana, lived in New Orleans will fully understand this. Mm -hmm. There are so many similarities between yeah. the Caribbean and between Louisiana, yeah. particularly South Louisiana, um, not just the climate and the fact that if you, you leave the house in the morning, you'll have a wet forehead in five <laughs> minutes <laughs> because of the humidity. You're mm -hmm. like, Lord, we're just getting started. But um, the food, the appreciation, the warmth, you know, some places I travel, people are kind, but it's just not their way. You can go a whole morning and not have someone say good morning. Right. And that that's a, that was a shift for me once I left uh, the South, because that's not the case. Right. We greet people, we acknowledge people. So the warmth of the people, uh, the celebration of the elders, you right. know, it's just there's so many things that are norms for people in the Caribbean that resonate with me as a person. And I just think the kindness of everyone that really came and just supported that experience. And I think that because I have not always been legally blind, I know what it is to be uh, fully sighted mm -hmm. and to not navigate disability. That was one of the first places I had visited in a long time mm -hmm. that saw my work before my disability. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. what, in, what inspires you? I am inspired by the ancestors. I am inspired by my dear grandfather who transitioned seven years ago, mm -hmm. uh, who was a civil rights leader and a minister. Uh, for 60 years and who took me mm -hmm. 
on all of my great trips as a kid. Mm. My trip to Africa was with my grandparents. And I know that that is a very unique experience. Mm -hmm. So I like to say that he spoiled us with love, with faith and with experiences, (laughs) not with actual things, but those things that he actually gave us um, are still a part of my experience now. And I'm very aware of persons like him and my other uh, uh, ancestors in my family that I am the walking expression of their prayers. And I take that very seriously. Also, James Baldwin, Mm. Nina Simone, Zora Neale Hurston, Audre Lorde, you know, Toni Morrison, whose real name was Chloe. When I found that out in high school, I was like, yes, sister, (laughs) come on. (laughs) Kindred spirit. Kindred spirits, you know, Madam C.J. Walker, who mm-hmm. was, you know, grew, who was actually born a few hours away from the plantation. My great great grandmother grew up on and and then came to Denver. Um, oh, really? So I feel like when I learn about the history and I embrace the history of where I'm traveling and going for, whether it's for a body of work or for my journey, there are all of these paths that we're walking on and we're not the first to walk them. And when you have that sense of awareness, I think it deepens the work. So the ancestors definitely deepen the work. Um, I do a lot of work that dates back to transatlantic slave trade. It dates back to the period of reconstruction, the period uh, after slavery. Uh, And occasionally, if it's something that really, really resonates with me, I'll do current day, modern day pop culture events. But those things inspire me. And, and truly, there's never a shortage of those things, unfortunately. Right. Um, th- those opportunities to to discuss and dissect and hopefully come together. And then lastly, my daughter. Mm. My daughter inspires me. Um, I was an older mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when we got word that we were going to have her, I was like, are you sure? Can we check again? <laughs> um, <laughs> Real? <laughs> I was like, because I'm old, but um, we, you know, we wanted a kid for many years and we decided it wasn't going to be our path. And when we made peace with that, I mm-hmm. think God has a way of laughing and shifting things. And it was like, surprise, you're about to be a parent. <laughs> and she changed the game for us uh, as a couple, as a family. And she is so full of joy. And I just, I, I see her, I see my ancestors in her. I see my grandfather in her, my great grandmother. There are things that she will offer, say, that I know that, you know, that they're with her. And um, I'm really doing this work, honestly, to create a sense of awareness about accessibility and history and uh, build community. But I'm also doing this work, truthfully, to create a, a beautiful record of how I see the world so that when my vision goes, Zoe will always have that. Well, you may have touched upon it earlier, but let's reiterate, what new projects are you working on? Is there something new that you've bringing to the world, so to speak, that you'd always, like to let us know. Always, <laughs> always. So uh, I just released on the 19th of January uh, my winter show, and that show was called Blind Spot. And of course, it's a play on words because, of course, the blind spot is the area of the eye that is not necessarily uh, open or accessible to light. And it also centers a privilege and accessibility. And I believe that those things are intertwined Mm -hmm. because I believe that the scourge of racism and discrimination uh, prevents us from accessing light and holds us back. So that show actually has a series of oral histories and historical events that are inspired 
by th those themes. Additionally, the, the signature piece, which is called Blind Spot, is an actual manifestation of my journey as a woman of color and navigating disability. So the piece can actually be viewed on my website uh, or the virtual tour on my YouTube page at Duplessis Art, but you will see, you see a labyrinth. There's a labyrinth and then you see um, like halos floating. And for people experiencing uh, okay. genetic macular degeneration, like those uh, who have Stargard, like I do, mm -hmm. that happens. Not every day, but some days I actually see bright bursts of light and things move and shift. And initially it can be kind of alarming, um, but you kind of just move and flow because that's the nature of the condition. Um, so that's what I'm working on now, trying to really create opportunities to, to intersect the importance of celebrating those navigating disability with the history. And every year I have a theme. Last year's theme was seen and heard. And this year's theme is vibrant accessibility. We are focusing on creating bodies of work and immersive experiences that will allow people both of all abilities to reimagine what it's like to navigate disability. Thank you so much. We ran out of time. I'm so sorry to say that. No worries, no worries. I look so forward to hearing more about your work, seeing your work and folks, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Ability Radio. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of WTJX, its board, staff or underwriters.